Welcome to our podcast, Revelation Conversations. I'm Steve Goble, the lead pastor at Ecclesia Eugene, and I'm here with Ken Carson, one of our teaching elders. Uh, I want to start uh, again this week by uh, just sharing with you our purpose behind this. We're hoping to utilize this time to unpack more in the book of Revelation and to supplement the Sunday teachings as our church, Ecclesia Eugene, goes through the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation can be very overwhelming for people, and so we're hoping to bring more clarity. Each week, we'll be releasing this podcast at 4 p.m., and you can find it through our website, ecclesiaugene.org. And today, what we're going to be talking about is the structure and the organization of the book of Revelation. Now, One of the questions that I think many of us uh, ask or have asked are, is why are we talking about the structure and the organization? With all the things in Revelation, why are we talking about that? Why are we using a whole podcast for that? Well, I think the response to that is uh, that many people uh, that we meet and connect with and and talk to, uh, they, they try to read through the book of Revelation And when they get to the middle, they stop and they think, I am completely lost. And then they give up because it's so overwhelming. And and so the the structure, the organization of the book is essential because it helps us understand and it helps us make sense of what we're actually reading and how it connects uh, to different sections. I, I would also add to that, though, I think the structure is also intentional on the part of John. He he is a, he is wanting us to understand how he's put this book together. And I think it's an integral to what the message of the book is, is how he's actually organized it. And, and this is probably most apparent by uh, John's use of the number seven. He absolutely loves the number seven. We see it all throughout Revelation, right? Right now, you know, we're looking at uh, Jesus' messages to the seven churches, uh, and then once we get done with that, we're going to see that there's there's seven judgments, there's seven seal judgments, there's seven trumpet judgments, there's seven bold judgments. This number seven just keeps popping up again and again. And we know that John loves the number seven. We saw that, remember when we did the book of John? John, in the Gospel of John, he has the seven I am statements of Jesus. He's got the seven signs uh, or miracles that Jesus did. So he, we, we just see this number seven pop up again and again, and, and it just seems to be a favorite of John. And that's how he structured the book. He structured around these seven. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit more detail. Um, but Steve, you have any, why, why seven? What's, what's important about the number seven in the Bible? And, and why is that kind of a key structure that we see, not just here, but repeated throughout Scripture? Well, we see one, I mean, our Bible kicks off with seven. So we we see, uh, even in Genesis, we see the number seven representing and reflecting completion, or it is it is finished. And so seven is such an important uh, number that we see consistently all throughout Scripture. And as you alluded to in Revelation, we see seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven uh, bull judgments. And and so he's using the number seven all throughout. And as as we 
unpack more of this structure, one of the things that we have to recognize uh, as as John is is writing is that John is describing in sequence the vision, the visions that he's having. And and as he's seeing these things, he's writing it. uh, And so he's saying, after this, I saw or after this, I heard. And what he's saying there is, is he's telling us, this is what I saw next. And a mistake that we can make is to think that means that what he's seeing next is automatically the next uh, event in sequence, in order. And yet that's not what uh, he's communicating uh, in those things. He's just strictly telling us, this is what I saw next. And so that's one of the things that when we look at the overall structure and, and summary outline of this book, that's something that we need to pay attention to and we need to be aware of uh, because often we'll just uh, read a book and we'll go cover to cover. And I know so many people that will read the Bible like that and then they get really confused. They get confused uh, when they study the prophets, the minor prophets. They get really confused when they get to the book of Revelation as well because we uh, see so often uh, that what they're seeing and what they're writing, it cycles. And we're going to talk more about that in uh, a minute. But essentially, can we go into these four visions within the book, don't we? Yeah. So when you talk about he saw this and then he saw this and then he saw this, those those visions, those things that he saw were, are structured around four major sets of visions that he's got. So the major structural element, I would say, in the book of Revelation is understanding where those visions begin and end. Uh, and so you, you, you'll see that marked out usually with an angel shows it comes to John and he says to says to John come I will show you and, and that's that's kind of our clue that okay this is a this is a transition this is a new vision or it's a transition of the vision and we see that take place in four different places first the first vision we saw last week when uh, we were in chapter 1 verse 10 where Jesus tells John write write down what you see here and give it to the seven churches so that's that's that first vision and that carries us through chapters 1 2 and 3 and, and we'll talk about what that's primarily the message to the churches. Then in chapter four, verse one, there's an angel that comes to John and says, come, come up here and I'll show you what will take place after this. Uh, and so that's the beginning of that next major section in chapter four. And that takes us from chapter four all the way to chapter 16. So that's the second vision. The third vision then is in chapter 17, where an angel says again to John, he says, come and I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute. So we've got a, a transition there as well. And so from 17 through chapter 20, uh, you'll see that third vision. And then the last vision starts in chapter 21, which where uh, where the, the angel says, come and I'll show you the I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And so there we see the new heavens and the new earth and a final vision. So just understanding that these are four separate visions. They're not necessarily chronologically describing what is happening uh, as much as it's chronological to one vision revealed to John after another. And so we'll, I think what we'll do is we'll take each one of those four visions and then kind of break down kind of the secondary structures underneath those four visions as we do that. So 
Show us a little bit, Steve, what, what you see in the first vision, that message to the churches. What, what kind of structural elements should we be looking at within those, uh, within those messages to the churches? Yeah, this is really convenient timing since right now on, on Sundays, this is what we're unpacking. This is what we're walking through. And essentially what we see uh, there in chapter one all the way uh, through chapter three is, is we see uh, seven uh, specific messages to these seven distinct churches. Uh, these are seven historical uh, churches uh, that that John is is writing these messages to. These are messages that that connect directly with what's going on uh, at that particular church. And what's so powerful uh, about it is, uh, once again, we are reminded of chapter one, where where Jesus is is holding the seven stars and he is amongst uh, the the seven lampstand. Uh, there he's he's walking, essentially he's holding, he's in control of his church, uh, but then he's also walking amongst uh, his churches. And so there is this, this peace knowing that, that Jesus is in complete control and this peace that he's amongst us, uh, he's amongst those churches. And so as, as they're hearing these letters, they're, they're receiving that with hope. Uh, they're receiving uh, that as, as encouragement, as they're enduring persecution. Uh, and, and some of the interesting structural elements in each of those letters uh, that we see is, one, Jesus is the author. If you have your Bible out and you're reading this, you'll notice that uh, it's in red when you walk through that. And that's because it's telling us those are Jesus's words. And so he's the author, not John, uh, at that part of the book. Uh, Jesus also introduces himself with the description of himself uh, before each of these messages. And what I love about that is you actually see that message encouraging uh, that church in their particular area of struggle. Uh, Jesus uh, encourages the church to overcome with a description of the new heaven and earth, which is a part of the description of the new heaven and earth that we see in chapters 21 and 22. And so not only does he kick off each message with chapter one and bringing them back to the glorified Christ, but we see him also finishing the message with a glimpse of the end of the book, which is ultimately victory. And that's where you see words like conquerors, overcomers. That's where that comes into play for us as Jesus followers. And so uh, what we see is how John, through the structure and how he writes these messages, he's tying the beginning and the end of the book together in, in a very powerful and beautiful way. I, I think that when we talk about the intentionality of the structure, this, this is a perfect example of that. Right. He doesn't want this first vision to be taken out of context of the whole book. Mm -hmm. and, and he's doing that by, by tying it into chapter one and to chapter 21. He's, he's bringing both of those in so that you can't just pull this out of the book and, and look at just this one section without seeing how this is connected through the whole thing. And so right. this intentionality of John's, it even shows up in just how he describes Christ to the churches and how he gives them hope for the future in each one of these uh, each, each one of these messages to the church. Well, one of the things that we forget about John is John at heart is a pastor. So at his heart when he's writing these churches, it's not this disconnected messenger. It's pastoral. 
And, and so I think that's really important that we understand his heart, his care, and his desire uh, for these churches. And then we get to the second vision, right, Ken? Yeah, so the transition point is in chapter four, uh, which we'll see in a few weeks. And this takes us from chapter four through chapter 16. And this is really the, the bulk of the book. Uh, it's probably the most well-known section of the book. Um, and it's structured around three different sets of seven judgments. So in chapters four through seven, we see seven seals on a scroll that are opened up. And as those seals are opened up, we see judgments come out. And then you see seven trumpets being blown. And each one of those trumpets represents seven judgments. And then you'll see a pouring out of bowls in chapters 15 through 16, which again is another set of seven judgments. So all in all, you got three sets of seven. That's 21 different judgments that are being rolled out uh, in, in this section of the book. But there's some important principles in understanding those judgments. The first is that they're recursive. And, and what I mean by that is uh, they're contained one within each other, kind of like a Russian nesting doll. So when you get to the seventh seal, that seventh seal and you open it up inside that seventh seal are seven trumpets. And so that seventh seal contains all seven of the trumpet judgments. And then when you get to the seventh trumpet, that seventh trumpet contains all of the seven bowls. So what you should be getting out of this is there's an intensifying of the judgment. Mm -hmm. As the judgments go along, they get more and more intense the closer we get to the final judgment and to Christ's return. I think the second piece of that tells us is that these are not chronological. So it's not like the, all the seal judgments come first and then all the trumpet judgments and then all the bold judgments. I think it's, it's, I think it's a cycle. I think it's it's replaying those judgments from a from a, another viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Th these are like flashbacks. So I'm first going to look at it as a seal. Now I'm going to look at it from another angle, and it looks like the trumpets. And I'm going to look at it from another angle, and it's a bowl. And and we get to see the final judgment leading up to Christ's return from at least three different perspectives. Yeah, it 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 really draws from. Uh, how we see in the Old Testament, we see Daniel writing, Zechariah, we see Ezekiel overlapping events. And then uh, the obvious thing is is the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the, the very same thing where uh, we're seeing the same thing through all of these different angles. There's one commentator who's who likens it to an instant replay when you're watching a sporting event. Mm -hmm. You know, so you you see it first when it's happening live, but then when they score the touchdown, you'll you'll see it now from the opposite angle, or you'll right. see it in slow motion, or you'll see it where they just highlight the camera just on the receiver before he catches the pass. And I yeah. think that's what's happening here is that we we see the final judgment leading up to Christ's return, but then we back up and we look at it from another angle. We look at it in a slowed down version. We look at it where we zoom in and make sure did he actually cross the, the goal line before his knee touched. And so we're zooming in and we're zooming out and we're looking at it from different angles so that we can see and understand in a much more um, kind of a mosaic of what's happening in those judgments. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, we get to see how bad it is and how it's going to get worse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, now you might wonder, how do, how do we know that? How do we know that it's cyclical? How do we know that we're seeing the same events over and over again? And the reason we know that is because when you get to the end of each one of those seven sets of judgments, we see Jesus coming back. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the seal judgments in chapter eight, verse five, 
at the end of the trumpets in uh, chapter 11, verse 19, and then at the end of the bowls in chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, you see the exact same event. In, in all three of those situations, we see it talks about peals of thunder, flashes of lightning, rumblings, and an earthquake such as never been seen before by man since man's been on the earth. And you see that happen at the end of each one of those. So we know that they're all leading up to this Right. Final cataclysmic event, right. which is the precursor to Jesus coming back. And so final judgment. And there's the final judgment. So right. that that coming back again and again and again to just give us a better viewpoint of what's happening in the in the midst of those judgments. Now, where it gets a little bit challenging is in between these set of judgments are these interludes where we get a heavenly perspective on how the people of God are dealing with these judgments. And, and in these interludes, we, we see two things. First of all, we see how God is protecting his people. And then we see how God's people are being a faithful witness to Jesus during that. Now, there's some different viewpoints as to who these people of God are. Uh, there are some who would say that this is the church. There are others who believe that the church is not present during this time. And so it's Israel or it's somebody else who are the people of God. But, but I think it's regardless of what viewpoint you take in that, what you're seeing is that in the midst of these judgments, God's people are being protected. Mm -hmm. So you see that in chapter seven, where you see a ceiling of 144,000 witnesses. That ceiling means God's God's calling them out and protecting them and saying, these are my people. Um, you, you see it uh, in chapter 14, where those same 144, they're sealed in contrast to the people who are marked with the beast. These are marked with, uh, with the mark of Christ. And then within that, you also see this bold proclamation of the gospel. So in chapter 11, there's the proclamation of these two witnesses who come and sh boldly share about Christ, even in the midst of their persecution. And in chapter 14, we see that the gospel is proclaimed to every person on the earth. And so in interspersed between these judgments, we want to see what's happening to the people of God. God's protecting them so that the gospel can go forward. And I think that's really important. Judgment isn't there for judgment's sake. God is trying to use these judgments in order to give a final opportunity for people to come and accept him and to avoid the judgment. Mm -hmm. And so this intensification of the judgments is not just because God's angry, but because God is trying to get people's attention and to get them to repent. And so that's why the, the role of God's people within this has to be, as they're going through the, through the persecution, to say they, they need to maintain a faithful witness to the whole world. You know, what a beautiful picture of mercy and grace in the midst of a section and even a book, I would say, that so many people look at with fear or God is just so angry or why is he, you know, killing people off, you know, essentially like why, why is he so harsh uh, why don't people, why aren't people given a second chance and, and all that? You see people shift their theology to make it so uh, that people will always have a second chance. And yet you see even in this uh, so much grace and mercy and you see uh, a perfect and holy God continuing to cry out to his people and 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 to also uh, continue to draw people even unto himself in the midst of these judgments and so I one of the things as you were talking about that that just came over me was just this reality of how gracious he is in a section of scripture that so many of us approach and we go oh it's it that, that that's done feel sorry for those people that are that are going to be there that are trying to live for God and yet we see man there's going to be some 
powerful moments, even in that where the gospel is being shared and it's being received and people are going to be saved. And, and I think that really puts down what the key point of that section is more than anything is it's a reminder that God's people will be protected. But in the midst of that persecution, there's also a call to be a faithful witness. Mm -hmm. That persecution isn't the reason to, to pull back, but right. it's actually an opportunity to press in. Right. To say, as we are going through this, as we're being persecuted, as we're suffering in the midst of this, that's, that's our faithful witness. What right. makes their witness so effective is that they're being martyred and they're willing to die for this. Right. And so if you're looking at someone who's like, I'm willing to die for this yeah. because this is so important, right. boy, that gets your attention. Right. And so it's a... Not that I don't think God is calling us to die for him, to, and we don't, we're not fortunately in that situation, but right. are we willing to go through persecution? Are we willing to go through suffering in a transparent way where when people see the hope in us in the midst of that, right. that that's attractive and says, man, why are you able to do that? And that's an opportunity we have to give the gospel even today. So you know, we got to remember the book of Revelation isn't written necessarily just for the people in the future. It's written for us now to encourage us, even in the midst of whatever we're going through, man, we've got to be busy about uh, the, the proclamation of the gospel to the people around us and being faithful in the midst of our suffering is how we're going to do that. And then we get to the third vision, which is the fall of Babylon. And that's chapter 17 to chapter 21, verse eight. And, and in this third vision, we see the final judgment through different word pictures and events. I'd, I'd say these, these different word pictures, this is where you're slowing down the instant replay. Mm -hmm. So we're just seeing the very end, the last part of, of the judgment and the coming of Christ kind of in slow motion. And, and I love it because he uses some very different picturesque language here mm -hmm. um, than what we've seen up to this point. Um, he uses a lot of illustrations. So he, he talks about in chapter 17 and 18, the fall of the city of Babylon. The fall of Babylon represents not the literal fall of the city of Babylon, but Babylon represents the entire world system that's going to collapse. Uh, and we see how that happens. But then you also see this rejoicing that it has collapsed by the people of God in there. And there's a contrast between that fall of Babylon and then what you see in chapter 19, which is an invitation for God's people to join in the wedding feast of the Lamb, where the church is the bride of Christ gets to consummate the marriage with Christ. And the, the distinction there is in this fall of Babylon. Babylon is called a harlot, a seductress who's trying to lure us away from following God. And instead, those who are faithful are, get to enter into a wedding with a lamb. And it's just a reminder, we'll get into this when we get to this chapter, but it's just amazing how right and how beautiful Babylon seems to be. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's attracting us. Right. And this is a call to say, no, stay faithful. Stay faithful to Christ in the midst of that. Right. And then we have the, the coming uh, of the conquering Christ in uh, chapter 19, which is just a, an incredible picture uh, of Christ coming and conquering. We have in chapter 20, the, the binding of Satan and final judgment of Satan. And then we go into just the most beautiful uh, imagery, uh, the great uh, white throne of judgment, uh, chapter 20 to then in chapter 21, the new heavens and the new earth, which is incredible, I mean, incredible, incredible. That leads us to the fourth and final vision, which is a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And we see it described as a bride being brought before her husband as the new Jerusalem comes down. And we see what is that place that we're going to dwell with Christ forever. And 
the real beauty of that is not not just that physical description of what the new Jerusalem looks like, but but it says that behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. That ultimately the glory of the new heavens and the new earth isn't isn't that we get to dwell in this beautiful city with with mansions of our own, but that God will be there with us, that mm-hmm. we will see him face to face. We will see him like he is and we will have restored communion with God forever in the new heaven and the new earth. And that's that's the power of this whole this final section and this final vision yeah you you see the church itself perfect in glory Mm, yeah and uh it's an overwhelming and almost uncomprehendable thing just with all the challenges and the dissension the division and the struggles we see uh in our churches but man what an ending what a victory that we have to look forward to and i want to just close our time reading revelation 22 20 and this is what john says he says he says he who testifies to these things says and then jesus says this surely i am coming soon and then john's response amen come lord jesus I pray that that is our posture, and I pray that that is what excites us every morning when we wake up, and that that's a peace that we experience. Thank you for joining us today. This was a challenging topic for us, much more challenging than uh, than last week's. Uh, but we're excited to go into uh, the the following week as we continue in this uh, study. And next week, we're going to be looking at the prophecy connection, how the Old Testament helps us make sense of revelation, time, symbolism, and imagery. And so we're excited to unpack that with you. Uh, join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10.30 as we continue walking through uh, the book of Revelation. God bless you.